Hello from Cyberry and Delinea, and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cyberry podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cyberry.it. From all of us at Cyberry and Delinea, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the 401X Denied podcast. I'm Joe Carson, the host of the episode, and it's a pleasure to be here with you, really hoping that you'll get a lot of value out of today's session. And it's a really exciting topic for me. It's something that I've been doing quite a bit of research recently on. So, And I've got an amazing guest to come back on the show, and no other than Art Gillian, um, who is the CEO of Delinea. So Art, you want to give us a kind of audience a little bit of update and background about uh, you and uh, and what you do, and to, uh, then we'll get in deep dive into the topic. Sure, great. Thank you, Joe. I really appreciate uh, you having me on the podcast. It's good to see you again. Um, so, folks, my name is Art Gilliland. I'm the CEO of Delinea, uh, which is a privilege access management technology. Um, I've been in the security industry for about 24 years or so. I uh, tripped over it on accident at a startup back in uh, uh, sort of the very late 90s, early 2000s, and uh, kind of fell in love with it and been here ever since and worked in big companies and tiny companies and uh, now here running uh, Delinea. Fantastic. And one of the important, the, today's topic is a critical one. I mean, it's something that's been in kind of the foreground and and a lot of, you know, the coverage of media, it's a lot of discussions. And it's really about, you know, the importance of cybersecurity at the boardroom level. And you've yeah. kind of, you have a lot of interactions with boardrooms. <laughs> I'm assuming you, you do that on a frequent basis. Um, yeah. And I just want to kind of get, you know, is, are you seeing it become more important? Is it becoming more discussed at the boardroom level? Um, and what types of discussions are they having? Can you, can you reveal some, kind of, some of the insights of what does happen when you're yeah, discussing Yeah, absolutely no question. So, I mean, my background here, obviously, I've been a CEO twice, and I've been on a couple of different boards, one public board and one private board. Um, and I will say, uh, over the last probably five to seven years, uh, security has really raised up uh, to uh, a conversation that you have. And I think what what I would say is, we talk about in my current board, we talk about security, uh, not just because we are a security company, but we talk about it as a, a risk mitigation and risk management in our audit committee. We talk about it in the general board session, probably every session. Um, definitely in the audit committee, we talk about it every session. Um, which happens once a quarter. Um, but for the, the broader board, we probably have a section on security every six months or so. Um, and I think the, the driver of that uh, is just how disruptive it's been. I think ransomware in particular has really raised the profile uh, of security. It wasn't, it's not so much, uh, it's not just about st- stealing customer data and having that uh, be a problem for your customers. That's super important, but it's also the the fact that now they're disrupting operations as well. Um, and so it's it's uh, you know it's the risk to sort of reputational loss, but then it's also like it, it could stop the company from functioning until you're able to pay. And so that uh, that level of disruption has really raised the profile of uh, the discussion around security and how do you mitigate for it, how do you insure for it, all of those different things. Absolutely. If we look at some of the you know incidents over the years, especially those ransomware cases, they can you know they can stop a company from running for for weeks, even months. And if you take the financial costs of you know turning turning your business off for you know two to three months, 
it can have yeah. a you know serious toll on, on the finances of the business itself, and, and some some even businesses struggle to survive as a result of that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's for larger companies they tend to be a little more resilient, but for mm-hmm. a smaller company, I mean, if you uh, stop operating for you know a couple weeks or a week because mm-hmm. uh, you're held ransom, I mean, it can kill the company. And so I think that's a that's definitely something that's on the minds of people that uh, that are not only running these companies but also that are governing them through the boards. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, what what when at the boardroom level? What types of strategy discussions happen? You know, what what's the strategies that the board is expecting, or what types of things do they do they they expect to measure? What what data are they you know expecting to hear? Um, so, kind of because one of the things I do find in, in some of the research we've been doing is that there usually is a bit of a, a misalignment into how we measure cybersecurity in the business and how yeah. we expect to translate that to the board. Uh, so, what 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 things do you see in that level? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the reality is, is boards are becoming much more ed- educated about how to talk about it. Um, I mean, I think part of what uh, is important in, in the discussion around this, when you think about uh, as a CISO or as you're sort of growing up to the CISO, what is the board's job? Uh, and I think, I think it's important to sort of keep in context what their job is. Their job is not to run the company. Uh, their job is to provide oversight and governance to make sure that we're thinking about risk in the right way and we're... Uh, allocating our resources to manage it. Um, the reality is it's not about stopping everything. That's impossible. Uh, and so the board is really there to ask questions about what is your strategy? Uh, have you thought about the risks to the company effectively? Um, and then give us an update on sort of your progress towards getting to a place where you think as a company's leadership team uh, is appropriate balancing of risk and cost and all of those things. Um, and so obviously for certain regulated, uh, industries, it's a much higher bar or a much, I guess, much lower risk tolerance. Um, and then other companies have a higher risk tolerance based on, you know, what the damage of, of a security incident could be. Um, I think that's one part of it. And then they also are spending, so that's part, part of what they're doing is what's your plan? How are you tracking against your plan? What are the, the metrics that you think are appropriate? And then there's a discussion around if those are adequate or not. I think the other is then what are, what are the mitigating uh, things that you're uh, willing to do? And so a big topic, obviously, now in the boardroom is cyber insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you manage, how do you, one, how do you get it? Uh, how much <laughs> is it going to cost the organization? And then how, are there things you can do to lower the cost, but uh, increase the protection of a cyber insurance event? Mm-hmm. So there that way you sort of think about averaging out the cost of a cyber event through insurance payments and others. And yeah. that way the spikiness of an actual event gets sort of flattened out. Yeah, um, you, you, you can then, mitigate sorry, financial damage. So you do, you can kind of level it off. So it's not such a big extreme at one go. So, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I think people are assuming that a cyber event is going to mm-hmm. happen. And so now insurance just helps you sort of flatten out the damage of an individual event. And so mm-hmm. your company can tolerate that flex, that fluctuation in cost, if that makes sense. So I'll pay a thousand dollars a month because I don't I can't tolerate a you know a fifty thousand or sixty thousand dollar event. And so how do I make sure that I can uh, sort of balance that out? And I think that's why a lot of companies start to look at uh, mm-hmm. cyber insurance today. Absolutely. I remember years ago, some some larger companies, you know, because cyber insurance wasn't something that was so common. Um, and, and many large organizations, what they would do is they would take out almost almost become their own type of insurance company. They would take out cyber captives and, and take yeah. a, you know, money aside and invest it. So all of a sudden, you know, they can leverage that when they need to. 
Um, and that money would grow over time when they don't have incidents, but it, it, it's almost like they're, they become their own insurance broker in some regards in that, you know, yeah. but they're, they're about, large yeah, self-insuring against these yeah. kinds of events or something. Yeah, no, I think that's, yeah. uh, again, large companies can self-insure in, in a lot of different ways. I think smaller companies just have a much harder time doing that, being able Absolutely. to do that. Absolutely. One of the big concerns I had last year was when we did we did our own research in cyber insurance as well. And one of the kind of concerns was was coming back was that some companies were taking cyber insurance as an alternative to security. Um, and that was that was a big concern for me because it's it's the financial safety net part of it. It's not the it's not, you know, and and the research came back and showed that, you know, companies who got cyber insurance became victims. Um, almost 80 percent of those who surveyed had you know, used their cyber insurance policy. And even you know half of those who'd used it once had used it multiple times, and that was quite shocking that they were looking at cyber insurance as almost like an alternative to security. But it should never be yeah. that; it should be complementary. Um, so, is, is I mean, what when when you're talking about cyber insurance, what type of approach do you take when you're looking to get insurance uh, from cyber attacks? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so look, I think the reality is I, the way that I think about it as a CEO and uh, as a person managing a company. Um, cyber insurance is a way to sort of level out the potential sort of burst of cost. Uh, it is not a, a replacement for the security programs we have. I mean, our business, because we provide security to customers, uh, we, we have a pretty uh, low tolerance for security risk because of that. Um, and so we, we invest pretty significantly in, in making sure that our infrastructure is secure, that the processes we run around our infrastructure is secure, that we uh, <laughs> reference check our people and we do all those things because um, that trust that our customers put in us to protect their most sensitive secrets uh, is super critical to our business. And so um, insurance for me is, is really more about sort of helping us deal with any kind of burst of expense if we had to deal with a, an event. Um, but I definitely don't want to use it. I think it would yeah. uh, uh, just having a security event would, uh, of any significance would damage it. Now, every company is dealing with security incidents all the time. Yep. Uh, we get attacked a lot. Uh, and so it's just how are you managing sort of the, the, the blocking and the stopping and the mitigation of those things in real time uh, in your environment. And so um, that's, uh, that's kind of how I see it. It is not a, it's a, it's a way to help manage the financial impact, not, uh, not a, uh, a replacement in my yeah. mind for, for security uh, infrastructure and security processes. So one of, the, one of the things you mentioned earlier uh, during kind of what you know the the, the board's in, in, in kind of was that uh, communication impact and strategies. You mentioned a bit about the mitigation side of things. Um, yeah. How important is it, you know, from a resilience perspective? Because this is really where you know a lot of misalignment. One of the things I you know I would say you know we're no longer com, you know protecting computer systems today. We're protecting the business. We're protecting society uh, because yeah. they're so aligned. They're so dependent and interlinked. Um, what about the resiliency side of things? How, what do they expect from a business resiliency? Uh, what types of things are they looking for when, when you're reporting back into the board? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to kind of go at it a little bit uh, roundabout, if that's all right, okay. Joe. Not, not a problem uh, at all. <laughs> I, I, think, um, I, I think one of the things that I would say the board cares a lot about and that also we talk mm -hmm. about is, you know, how do you practice? What's, what is the practice mm -hmm. uh, that you do uh, for it? the inevitability or for the potential eventual uh, breach that occurs. And I think it's really important to do those sort of tabletop exercises. 
And it's because the reason the reason I think that is is there's a lot of little details you just don't think about in terms of communication, in terms of uh, recovery. And I think part of that resiliency is making sure that you can respond really quickly and that you have an alternative plan for what you're going to do and how you're going to recover and what those pieces will look like. Um, and I've lived through uh, a couple of different pretty significant breaches in my career, um, as, as has some of the um, leadership team, not only as, a, as an advisor and a helper to companies that do that through my job, but also just as a victim. Uh, you know, in, in some of the, the places I've worked before. Um, and having practice uh, really helps you be resilient, helps you find the pathways, understand what things you need to have pre-prepared as a way to get ready for uh, what could happen to the company. And I think that's a big part of the discussion that we have also at the board level around, mm-hmm. you know, what is the plan? How do we think about that plan? Have we practiced the plan? Um, uh, and I think, uh, every time you do that, you learn something. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things you, you're mentioning about, you know, that's for me is the difference between having something like an instant response plan and being instant response ready. There are two very separate things. You can have a plan of place very different. sitting yeah. and you, you know, you went through and you, you've got all the inputs and you've got the contact list, you've got the different priorities, you've got, you know, you know, how you're going to basically contain, uh, but there's a big difference between being ready, actually having simulated having going through and, you know, what it is, what does it mean to, for example, collect disk images of all the machines? Do you have the disk-based storage? Um, when you're going into creating things like super timelines for forensics, what time zone are you working off? If you're a company that works across multiple time zones, what's your corporate time zone that you want to be actually going Yeah, what do you snap back to? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, um, it's, it's interesting how a lot of those little tiny details you don't think about it until you actually practice, and you're like, right. "Oh yeah, we gotta we, we gotta decide that." Yeah. Um, and it's it, it is uh, you know obviously I'm sure there's people watching this podcast called yeah 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 I got that, um, but the reality is is you're gonna find something. Uh, you maybe have thought of those things, but you'll find something that you just don't realize. Oh, I should have pre-negotiated my PR contract because I needed to find this person and. You know, and now because I'm negotiating real time, I, I'm going to pay a lot more or I'm not going to get the terms I want. Or, I mean, there's just so many little details like that that go through uh, when, when these things actually happen that uh, you want to get in front of. Absolutely. I mean, I think one, one of the ones I, I participated in, kind of the last ones, it was the things that was missing was about how to feed their instant response team. Where are they going to sleep? Because um, they're working 24 hours, <laughs> seven days a week around the clock. Where are they sleeping? And those were things that was not in the plan. It was like, okay, we, yeah, you know, not. Because we practiced it nine to five. We didn't practice it, you know. Well, especially now when you're, we're in this world where everyone is, is virtual, mm-hmm. like, like doing these, like if, when you're in war room situation, it's actually better to be all together. Uh, it's way faster. Your decisions get done super fast and quick and you have open lines. And I, the reality is, is, okay, now you're having an response. Okay. You got to fly 16 people in because they're all the ones that are working on this. Like, where are they going to stay? How are they going to do this? What are we going to, where are we going to support them? Where are you going to work? Um, and and it, is, and so, it does have a big toll in mental health as well. I've seen most of the people I've seen working in incidents and, you know, in resiliency and is that, thinking about, you know, even therapies and, you know, post-traumatic stress and stuff, because these are people that's working that not knowing if, you know, the company's going to survive or they're, you know, if they are to blame sometimes, you know, maybe they didn't configure some security control correctly or something. 
So you know, it is interesting. Our, uh, you bring that up. Our uh, our our chief revenue officer, a guy named uh, Dave Castagnolo, uh, he was the point of contact for the RSA breach. And so he uh, literally was the leader of the team of almost 200 people that they were uh, when they were uh, going through that process. And he said a lot of the initial stage, I mean, people thought the company was going to die. And so they went through this sort of really emotional process to try to save the company. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it takes a big mental toll for sure. And he he tells a lot of really interesting stories about uh, about that and about the sort of results Mm -hmm. after and how. Uh, how people had to deal with that, um, uh, what is uh, essentially PTSD, yep. uh, in and after those after those kinds of breaches. So, if we kind of go back into the the boardroom side as well, is yep. what who do they go to for advice? What what is their kind of go to for you know because they, they some some might sit in, in, in multiple organizations boards, um, some you know might be you know de- de- designated to one company. Um, where do they go for advice or for, you know, how, how to make sure that they understand um, they're doing the right thing or the best practices? Uh, what, yeah. what's, their, what's, their, what's their advisors and consultants, where they go for? Yeah, that? I mean, I think, I think what, you're, what I am seeing for sure is that a lot of boards are adding somebody to the board with security experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for example, on Delinea's board, uh, Myrna Soto, uh, mm-hmm. is on our board. She is a CISO, been a CISO uh, before, mm-hmm. and now she participates in boards. Um, and so uh, she's able to provide what I would call trusted, uh, mm-hmm. sort of separate from the company advice on and evaluating our process and our risk mm-hmm. management skills and those things. And so I think a lot of boards are adding that skill set to the board. So I think okay. that's one place where they go and what they look for uh, in that uh, in that process, they definitely are also uh, asking uh, auditors, and so whether it's you know PwC or ENY or KPMG or all of these different sort of audit companies also have sort of security backgrounds, and they're they're getting advice from them. I see some boards doing that um, as an alternative, and then the the last area that they I think has been. Uh, pretty important and has been kind of an evolutionary change inside of companies is um, is that sort of uh, independence or separation for the CISO. And mm-hmm. so the CISO being able to report back to the board and have a separate and sort of distinct relationship with board members um, outside of the chain of command. Yeah. And I think that, that, that those, was interesting. Those, those, sort of three, those sort of sort of the three areas where I see sort of the... Um, the board getting its security advice, if you will. Yeah, that was interesting as you mentioned that because one of the one of the kind of things we looked at in the research recently was about where people thought that the CISO should report into. Because it's always it's always a big debate. It's, 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 it's a big, up for it, sure. it is a big debate in the industry. We're always going through this. You know, reporting into the CIO is is that conflict of interest or do organizations have a risk officer because ultimately security is all about risk reduction it's about resiliency is that the right place or is it you know if the the board and the ceo wants to get something as a priority the things move faster maybe they're falling a bit behind on their security strategy does that mean that the scissors should report directly into the ceo or you know also have a seat at the board day long table what's your thoughts on where you know just interesting to see where, where you think that this falls into because yeah. it's always a big discussion yeah, no, I, look, I think there's trade-offs everywhere, mm-hmm. uh, to be honest. Um, I think for a company like uh, like ours, 
um, we, we're not going to have a chief risk officer. Mm-hmm. I, I think one, we're not, we're just not of the scale that can manage it. And it's also, that's not a part of the sort of core of our business. We're not a regulated mm-hmm. industry. We don't deal with that, that level of, of challenge. And so mm-hmm. I will say that when I talk to customers and I talk to a lot of customers, uh, the vast majority of customers still have the CISO reporting through the CIO or the CTO. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree with you. It'll, it's a little bit of the, you know, the fox watching the hen house kind of yeah. thing because um, there's a lot of security controls in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is, is so much of our infrastructure and the integration with the security controls is still mm-hmm. IT centric. It's just faster and more efficient yeah. to have those functions be together. Um, and so I think, uh, it's important for the CEO, uh, to recognize the, the challenge and have a relationship directly with the CISO, uh, and have the CISO be able to report independently of their chain of command. I think that is the most important thing to maintain. Um, but for me and where we are, CISO reports in through the CIO and the CIO then helps to think about infrastructure more broadly. But I also meet with our CISO on a monthly basis to keep track of the, the pieces and, and, in fact, probably much more frequently than that uh, in, uh, in the time we're, we're in now, uh, just to make sure that we're you know, on track with the projects we've decided, that we're keeping um, you know, pace with the, the project uh, design that we came up with and what, we're, what improvements we need to make. Because the CISO's job for, in our company is not only the IT infrastructure and making sure we're protecting that, uh, our internal guts, but also our product security mm-hmm. and making sure that we're tracking through the metrics that we've committed to on the product security, that we have a uh, responsible disclosure policy where when people send us vulnerabilities, we respond appropriately. And so there's a whole bunch of um, security uh, elements that go into sort of how you secure an enterprise like ours. Um, now, I have seen them report to a chief risk officer. You typically see that in regulated industries that have a chief risk officer. Um, I have heard of CISOs reporting directly to the CEO. Um, I, uh, I'm personally not a fan of that uh, because I think while security is important, um, I think I add less value to that process uh, as a CEO. I think... Uh, there's, uh, there's just more effective and more efficient uh, places that it should be. doesn't mean I don't care about it. doesn't mean I don't meet on it. Um, but it's not a direct function that I'm going to manage. Yep. That's very similar to the, to the actually results that we got back from the, the research itself was it was very aligned yeah. to that and that most did believe that the CIO was the right place as long as they had the autonomy in order to make sure that they're able to you know, report back you know, what the right things are to do. Sure. Um, and I mean, the interesting thing that I've seen, Joe, just as a just yeah. as an aside to it, is the the evolving skill set of the mm-hmm. CISO. And <laughs> I would say that, interesting. that was another part of the, the the research that we were actually looking at. What yeah. was the skill? What the traditional? So just going to keep going back on that is the traditional background of a CISO was very technically. You know, their, their background is technical, not business. So. I'm just yeah. curious to see kind of where you see the skill sets. Uh, yeah, and I think historically, I would say they came from two different places. Uh, there were certain CISOs that grew up through what I would call the IT world. And mm-hmm. you know, obviously, when I started 
24 years ago, they were all network admins because uh, <laughs> that's really where security was. It was firewall security, and that was the only thing that security was. Uh, and so you saw a lot of that that skill. And so a lot of the CISOs in the sort of early days were this, uh, you know, uh, network security admin, that, yeah. that kind of skill set, or they came up through the technical ranks. The other pathway that I saw uh, come in is the audit and compliance side. And so there were policy CISOs more. And so they had technical CISOs, you had policy CISOs, and that was kind of the beginnings mm-hmm. of those functions. What I started to see probably about 10 years ago is companies rotate in, um, you know, more business focused CIO kind of types, mm-hmm. and they'd ro- rotate through that. And I think the 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 reason that that started happening, and and uh, and I can think of a couple of different specific people, which I won't name uh, on, on the podcast because I didn't ask their permission. Um, but they were kind of given a tour of duty through the CISO role, primarily because they understood the business processes so well, they understood the infrastructure processes really well. And when you think about the security challenge, it's understanding how to keep operations running, but also understanding where all the potential connections are. Um, and so I think uh, you started seeing what I would call more business-minded, still IT people, still CIO kinds of folks, um, but m- much more business-centric folks. Yeah. Um, and that allowed the, the CISO to be more risk-centric. Because I think the, in the early days, the, the CISOs were the no team. Like, yeah. you can't do that. It's going to create risk. Can't do that. That's going to, yes. you know, that's going to be a problem. The and I think yeah, the, the rotation... <laughs> The rotation in of those sort of more business operations minded folks were like, we can do that, but I, if we do it this way, it'll be safer. Yes. Uh, and so it's much more about a business enablement function and less more less than a just sort of stop all the bad stuff from happening kind of world. And that that sort of approach towards risk balancing, mm-hmm. uh, I think, is the CISOs that I see mostly today. Um, yeah, we're seeing we're seeing the rise of the BIZO, uh, which is the Business Information Security Officer, where it's more of a yeah. person who um, they might have you know good technical competency in the background, and they might have come from a compliance and auditing background, but from a technical perspective, you know maybe they were PCI or maybe they were a, a NIST or uh, ISO compliance, so they come from that background, uh, but they're really focused around um, how do they help business outcomes. Um, you know, what is the business resiliency? So it's more of kind of focus around that alignment between where security is no longer just about stopping incidents, it's about um, when incidents happen is what's the actually domino effect on the business and how they make sure that they can actually keep those dominoes from falling to keep the business running. Um, so the BISO is something that we've seen on the rise, absolutely. And we find it actually, the research that we've been conducting shows that actually organizations have a much better cybersecurity strategy when they align better to the business outcomes and business measurements. Yeah, I might look, I think it's the reality is it's a a risk balance, right? Mm -hmm. And you need to understand what it is you're trying to enable, what it is the business is trying to accomplish. And I think if you balance that and you sort of augment the security elements around, so you keep those things going, keep that stuff happening at the speed that you need to be able to move in a business context, those those are the, are the, the best CISOs that I've seen. And I think, you know, I do think that having a business context I mean, a bridge from the technology, I do think because secu- security is still very technical in general. Yeah. Um, and I, I, uh, I think it's important to either be 
technical yourself or have a real trusted sort of technical number two. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, uh, you got to weed through a lot of the, the noise of the security technology companies, because uh, <laughs> we come up with all these cool whiz bang <laughs> things and you got to un- be able to make that bridge to, okay, that's cool, but do I care? Um, and I think that, uh, the, that combination of one, two being technical enough to understand mm-hmm. what they're talking about. And then, uh, much more cent- centered on what the business requirement is, mm-hmm. uh, I think is key. Yeah, being able to translate it effectively is, is really the key there. Yeah. And so you mentioned a little bit about, you know, one thing we're great in the security industry is creating buzzwords. What's what's the buzzwords in the in the boardroom at the moment? You know, are we hearing a lot of <laughs> Oh God, there's so many. Uh, <laughs> like I think the one that hits the the most now is zero trust. Mm-hmm. I think everybody's talking about this idea of zero trust and uh and you know, what is it and how do you get it and depending on which vendor you're talking to, they're pivoting it towards what they care about. Uh, and so I think, uh, the board is trying to get their head around, like, what is that? And, you know, does that need to change the way we approach security or not? Um, and so I think that's, uh, that's the big one. Obviously boards are hearing and reading in the newspaper about AI. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that is another big, uh, topic and like, how is it going to impact us? How should we think about it? Um, I think companies uh, like ours are all sort of playing with and investigating, you know, is it valuable? How do we use it? What are the, mm-hmm. what are the threats it could create? And so I think obviously because of chat GPT, that's in the news a lot. And so boards yes. are going to ask about that. Um, but definitely on the security side, zero trust is the buzzword as you were mm-hmm. in my mind. Um, and so uh, that's been a, that's been a t- big topic of, of conversation. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a, yeah, we always hear the buzzword bingo. There's always, you know, it's always something and, and every year. Something. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what RSA we're obviously going into the RSA <laughs> conference here in a, in a little bit. And, you know, uh, RSA always has a theme and uh, that'll be the buzzword bingo for, yeah. uh, for this year. That's one of the things I always enjoy doing is, you know, when I go to the expo halls, I do buzzword bingo. Uh, I walk the booths, <laughs> walk the halls. And I'm always checking to yep. see, What's what's new? What's interesting? And yeah. one year everybody did cloud. One year everybody did analytics. So you know, we'll see what we'll see what this year is. So absolutely, yeah, it'll be yeah. AI most definitely. I, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I, I think I think you know, and this is the the challenge um, is you know the definition of AI is is very broad as well. Um, and this is what I get us into is that what what in reality what is it? Is it is it automation? Is it, um, is there any, you know, self-intelligence coming out of it? Is there, you know, is it just algorithms that's, you know, do you need human intervention at the end as well? Does, does humans need to understand and, and, and um, you know, make the decision ultimately whether there's a mitigation factor or whether something needs to happen or something, you know, kinetic at the end? Um, yeah, no, I think, that, I mean, for us, I think it's, you know, how do you build stuff into your product that help humans make decisions faster? Absolutely. And in some things that are really rote and you can set a policy for like, a, you know, that's like threshold alerting. People call it AI, but it's probably just threshold management. Yep. Um, I do think, you know, machine learning and getting the cut, the product to sort of understand sort of choices that a human has made in a certain mm-hmm. circumstance can automate the response faster. And I think that's valuable to build into products. And so we try to do that. Um, true AI in a security product, I think is still a fantasy. Um, I, I, I don't, that's, 
uh, it, that's the marketing language that people wrap around it, but it really is about making decision-making faster because it's all about Completely. speed and response. Completely agree. Uh, being able to set policies uh, and evolve those policies as uh, as you learn more. So Yeah, I, I really, for me, it's, you know, it's the machine learning aspect of things. It's the, you know, yeah. um, uh, deep intelligence. It's it's about getting into natural language understanding. Those are the fundamentals, I think, where the yep. technologies are really kind of making a difference. Um, yep. And and they need good algorithms. And it's the algorithms sometimes we were referring to as the AI as the algorithm, but um, it really yep. comes down to the good. How much good data are you putting in to get the right answers to the questions you're asking? Right. It. I mean, I'm I'm excited about the potential for it for sure. I mean, I looked. We've been messing around a little bit with ChatGPT and can you write connectors and can you do some code <laughs> building? And I think what we've uh, what we've uh, sort of come to is you know those kinds of uh, systems are really good at building the scaffolding or framework of code, but they're not very good at the detail. Um, yes. And so can we use those things, and those tools to help accelerate the beginning parts of it and then have our folks focus on the fine details? And and so I, I think there's still going to be a lot of experimentation. There's going to be a lot of work around sort of how you leverage and what you do. But, you know, I think it's exciting. I think there's some real opportunity to accelerate and, and make technology easier and faster and more sort of human language readable and so expand the number of people that can actually interact with it I think that, that to me is a super valuable thing um uh if we can leverage it correctly absolutely i thought i've had the same experience as well when i'm uh, it creates a great outline or initial kind of structure that you know it needs a lot of personalization put into it, it needs a lot of you know modifications to to make it kind of uh, to the point where it becomes really usable, but it's great at creating yeah. that outline, that framework uh, to start. I think with. so. I think it's. I think it's. It's quite good at that. Fantastic. So, what what key takeaways would you have for anyone who's listening in that you know might be getting in a, getting into a CISO position, or what types of skill sets or, or you know resources you think might be good for them to uh, to be able to communicate to the boards better or to prepare? Uh, what what things do you think you know um, that you would recommend? Uh, those who are getting into those positions uh, should start. <laughs> so many things. Um, I, I think, you know, look, I think if you're, if you are a, an, a, an aspiring CISO or you're moving into that role, um, I think the, one of the most important things you can do is join the communities, uh, engage with other CISOs, and make sure that you have the, the, that friend network that you trust, that you can mm -hmm. share confidential sort of things with uh, in real time. I think that, uh, to me, that building that network of connections, I think, is super critical because you guys need each other and, and it's a community of folks that are going to help. Uh, so that would be sort of step one. The step step two is when you're interviewing for or looking for these jobs, I would be testing really closely, like uh, how much access you think you're going to be given uh, and what that hierarchy is going to feel like when you're there. Uh, it's less important who you were put to. It's more important what that dynamic is going to be when you're mm -hmm. in there. And so access to the CEO, access to the board, I think is super critical uh, to be able to do your job effectively and hold the organization accountable. Um, and so I think uh, making sure you feel comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. So those would be two big things off, off the top of my head. I think the, the last thing that I would just offer up <clears throat> is uh, your world is super technical and detailed and down into the regulations and you're mapping to controls and things like that. Your board doesn't think like that. 
Uh, <laughs> they want red, yellow, green lights. They want to know sort of progress towards success. And so being able to, in an effective way, sort of capture the, the, all of that detail that you have and provide it to the board so they can focus in the right areas is super critical. So whether that is, you know, taking classes on writing or communication skills, it's a super important part of your job because uh, you have about 15 minutes to help communicate effectively what you need in those boardrooms. There are some boards that will spend more time. If you have an hour on the board agenda, that's too much because people will stop paying attention. They just will. Yeah, yeah. because uh, it's, it's not their... It's, it's not what they do every day. And, yeah. and when you have an hour, you're going to fill it with stuff <laughs> that candidly, they're, they're already thinking about board number two or lunch or who knows, whatever. And I, I don't mean that in a pejorative way to these boards that are super uh, effective and intelligent people. It's just the, the, the tolerance for that much into the guts of a company isn't what their job is. Their job is governance. And so helping them govern through, are you on track? Do you, are you thinking about the right areas of risk? Putting it in big animal pictures is a super important part of your job. And so, um, and then managing all that detail underneath it with your team. Yeah. Um, so those are the big things I would say is understand your network and build that. Uh, make sure you understand the dynamics of your access because that's going to make it so you can be successful or not in the company. Uh, be able to communicate super clean and clear and then build a team that can help you manage the details. Th those would be my, my pieces I think that's, of uh, advice. I think that's fantastic. It's, it's actually, so I think that's probably so valuable. A lot of people will get, you know, who's listening in, really great insights and, you know, really help them understand about awesome. more things. If, if, if they are good in certain areas, it at least gives them areas that they can enhance on or, you know, and absolutely yeah. for me, I mean, you know, everybody's going to know where their skills are. You, yeah. you like, you got to build around your skills and, you know, if you're not that, you know, writer person, make sure you have one, yeah. <laughs> find somebody, <laughs> find somebody who can help you. <laughs> exactly. So for, this has been awesome. This has been really, you know, it's like almost like a, a little bit of a sneak peek into what happens in the cybersecurity at the board level uh, yeah. and some of the priorities and some of the, the areas of, of focus. And so thank you, Art. It's been fantastic. And uh, for you, my pleasure, yeah, this, is, this is really insightful. And I think that, you know, for those who are aspiring CISOs, uh, this is a much watch episode now for sure. Great. Um, well, thank you very much. I appreciate being invited to the show. I like doing it. Absolutely, we should have you more often. I think it's been it's been a while since happy we had to. you on. <laughs> so, yeah, happy to, happy um, to. I'll take advantage of that. Um, so for everyone, you know, great having Art in, on, and uh, definitely, you know, tune in every two weeks for the Four One Access Tonight podcast. Um, really bringing you, you know, amazing talented guests and insights and resources to really help you, um, you know, map out your path uh, to to a great future and to hopefully, you know, a safer society and. And let's make sure we, you know, we, we reduce and to make the world a safer place. So thank you. Take care, stay safe, and all the best. Awesome. Bye-bye. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrary for Business by going to www.cybrary.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Delinea. Dicotic and Centrify are now Delinea, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit delinea.com.